taking out the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we didn't get paid for that ad, I promise. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell. A quick reminder before we start the show. Here's how you can find us on social media. At Twitter, at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And on Facebook, at Glory Days Podcast. I'd like to do a quick flashback to last week's conversation and not specifically to the content, but to the fact that I asked Joshua to outline why he thought Indiana and Minnesota were important for inclusion in this series. Now, in that same spirit, as we start our back and forth this week and all the festivities that surround the actual contest, I want to once again ask you both to tap into your emotional side for a second and explain what the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry means to you. Because I think you both have unique perspectives in the fact that, you know, you spent some time in Columbus before enrolling at Ohio State. Mm. Evan, your dad was a coach. Yeah. So you grew up with it. And Josh, you grew up with it as a resident of Columbus. So can you guys give some perspective of what it was like before you came and played for the Buckeyes and then what it meant to you after you started playing? Josh, you want to take the first go around here? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Like, I think people on from who aren't even from, like, Columbus or Ann Arbor understand the history of this rivalry and understand the hate that exists. You know, like, you don't get to call a rivalry the game without so many people knowing about it that you can just say it like that. Right. Um, but it's different when you're in Columbus. Like, the, the, the whole city turns a shade of scarlet during Michigan week, like, you know, businesses are, they're decked out with their Ohio state Mm -hmm. stuff. And every kid coming to elementary school is wearing a t-shirt or a Jersey or a sweatshirt or whatever the case is. Um, you know, like your, your neighbor across the street who has a Michigan flag is like worried that their house is going to get TP'd or yeah. egged or whatever the case oh, and was. We, so. And we had one of those where we yeah. lived too, so don't <laughs> For worry. Real, like, it's no joke. Like yeah. that was something that could really happen. It, it's, um, I, it's, it's storied. And it, I mean, it's a, a main reason why I was so interested in becoming a Buckeye is you play in historic games and you play in a historic rivalry and you have a chance to be a part of that type of history that people like Tyvis Powell, who we'll talk about later in this episode, you know, one of my boys, like people talk about that interception he had to save the game uh, against Michigan in 2013. Like you want to be a part of a, a, a rivalry where people are going to remember years later what you did as a part of that game. Right. I mean, like any, any one step is immediately cemented into history into that one game. And, you know, for me as a child growing up, like my dad was a coach, right? So it was immediately when I came out of the womb, I pretty much had a an Ohio State, you know, beaten up on a Michigan dummy probably in my crib or something. But, uh, you know, to, to grow up in that environment and then just to see that like, oh, well, you know, while I'm at elementary school and I got my jerseys on and friends are asking me questions because my dad's coaching, you know, Eddie George or whatever. And then to transition to then getting recruited and then playing and, you know, making an impact in that game. It's like, holy cow, I've 
spent my whole life dreaming about what this could look like, uh, you know, trying to catch my own touchdown passes to win against Michigan. And now it's, you know, it, it's, it's really time to buckle up the chin straps and go. Um, and, and to Josh's point, every play, every step is cemented in the history because, you know, when we start playing the, the highlight reels at the Woody to get ready for the week, um, you know, and, and as that happens throughout time, all of those individual decisions, um, plays, great blocks, you know, awesome uh, catches over the head um, are now in that highlight reel through time. And those, and those are going to be the plays that help get the next group of guys ready to go uh, leave their imprint. Right. So this is a huge brand and a huge story program. And this is kind of the crescendo of the season. Right. And, you know, from a childhood you know, envying to be in the show and then, um, growing up to be a player that actually got to contribute. It's just, you know, a dream really it is. Well, was there anything that, you know, when you were growing up that you saw, but once you got to Ohio state, you're like, well, damn, I, I didn't know it was like this. Was there <laughs> any kind of big revelation once you got inside the Woody that, that really gave you a new look perspective on that rivalry? Yeah. I mean, like I, I was always trying to be around the facility as much as I could, but you know, even during, you know, uh, Michigan week, like my dad's tune, um, uh, tune would change if he was talking with the players or whatever. I wasn't really around practice much anymore. And, you know, it was just kind of outsider looking in like, oh, this is cool. We're going to win. And, you know, hopefully we can, you know, have a, have a good Sunday from there. But once you got in it, right. And you realize that, okay, once we get in and start watching film on Sunday or, you know, we get in and start doing workouts and, you know, then we go to film and then we go to practice, right. That, you know, the band's coming in shortly afterwards or, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're going to figure out when Mirror Lake jump's going to happen. And, and, you know, trying to pull the freshman out from getting and trying to jump yeah. in, uh, you know, all, all of that type of stuff. So, you know, it, it just brings it back to your own world um, yeah. um, really quickly. But it's, you know, it's, it's why you come here. Well, I've always been interested in the Michigan side of the rivalry. And I've yeah. certainly had my friends that went to Michigan. Uh, Joshua, you said you had had a conversation with Kyle Kalis. Um, yep. did, what, 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 did he give you any insight into the Michigan rivalry and into, into the, the Michigan side of this? Yeah. I mean, those guys were fired. And, and so Kyle Kalis was a guy who was committed to Ohio state, in my recruiting class. Um, when, when Jim Trussell, uh, resigned, Kyle Kalis flipped to Michigan and said he wanted to go someplace where he knew who the coach was going to be. And there was going to be stability is ha 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 he, he, you dummy. Um, and I've called him that to his face before, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, but he, he's talked about how those guys would prepare and they they wanted to beat Ohio right you know we say beat the team up north it was beat Ohio they wouldn't call us Ohio State like that was their thing but they also went through a little bit of a phase where their coach was like you know this game's no bigger than the other games and we've got uh two rivals you know we've got our in-state rival and we've got we've got Ohio and it's like we would never hear in Columbus and and we played in, in a lot of big games and we probably created some rivalries in right. our time sure. at Ohio state, but we would never compare any other game to the game. Right. And so I, I think there was a little bit of a, a, a shift. And part of that is when you get your ass beat so often, maybe you want to change, uh, you know, the, the narrative <laughs> around how you talk about the game. Um, it was important to those guys, but I'm gonna be completely honest. I don't know if it meant as much, like that singular game meant as much for them as it means for people in Columbus, even the way that we've been dominating the rivalry. Urban has said, and he told this to 11 Warriors, he said everything around the Woody Hayes Athletic Center is different this week, but one thing that isn't is the way that you guys practiced. 
He said, practice is pretty much the same. I think the biggest thing that is different is just the education of the rivalry. And I want to throw that out to you guys, but I do want to point this out to the listeners. It could be argued that since Urban was named head coach, the recruiting focus and the personnel has expanded a little bit towards the national in scope. So some players, although Joshua talked about it, some players like a Curtis Samuel who grew up in Brooklyn may have a different take on this rivalry than a Joshua Perry growing up in Columbus, Ohio. Sure. Um, can you guys take us through the the week, Sunday maybe to Friday, and talk <laughs> about what is different in the facility and educating guys like Curtis Samuel on this greatest of rivalries? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, our program is awesome at doing this because we got a couple of lunatics in our weight staff and you know, <laughs> on our on our coaching staff as well. Yeah. And and I'll and I'll give you an example, right? So in the off season, right, whether it's like a Halloween workout or you know e- even further in back into the off season, I'm sorry, we'll have these Harley Davidson workouts where they'll actually drive a Harley in through the workout room or into the into the weight room, and you you walk into the facility. There's flashing lights. There's caution tape. There's a whole bunch of just shit show going on right yeah um but it you know it, it feeds into the workout you get the intensity up you get a good deal in right uh, you bond with your guys but that's an example that's kind of funny of what we would then do when it comes to michigan week right so the the second you step in after the game and sunday starts and you know you're going to start with the team meeting and go into film practice whatever you're walking in and you're hearing it's time for war right there's flashing lights right they, you know there there isn't espn or fox or btn going up on the tvs while training tables going on it's the highlight reel that we're sitting here talking about, right? Every play, every step, every moment in those games that you have the chance to cement into history. We have from the time that we step foot on Sunday all the way up until we really foot hits the ball in the game. Um, nothing but time to watch those plays and think about my ways to leave my imprint. Right. So, you know, that's part of the education. And I think he used education very softly in the, <laughs> in the media because it is an immersive environment as I'm sure it's you guys. It's an indoctrination. Uh, oh yeah. If, if you played yeah. and I, now for the listeners, I sent everybody it's time for war uh, this morning <laughs> in a group text. So if you listen to it and you started, you know, getting a little hyped up, uh, yeah. you, you see where it comes from, but uh, that's that's that just speaks to the education and how we get guys that are from Brooklyn or you know closer to home like Brady Taylor here in Columbus um, together on the same message, ready to go. Let me let me say this in terms of the actual week of practice. So Urban's like, you know, there's there's it's pretty much the same. Here's the difference in the week of practice against you know when you're preparing for the team up north is when a guy would mess up a look on scout team. You know, you would be like, hey, man, we got to get a clean look. You got to pick it up. You know, like it's really important that we prepare during that week. If a guy messed up a look on scout team, you would say, if you fuck that look up again, I'm going to choke you out. Like yeah. it was it was that right. serious. Oh, wow. Where like right. you were you were ready to snap on somebody because like you wanted to be so ready for that game and you mm. didn't want to leave anything up to chance. Right. And, and so did the scout team too. Like, you know, they took so much pride in these moments as well. Like, you know, once we got in those, those that Sunday or whatever, before meetings, now it sounds weird to Buckeye fans, but you gotta, you gotta put yourself in the mindset of us getting ready to practice, etc. But the scout team guys go in there and they start decorating their helmets with the maize and blue colors on, you know, their little design, whatever you want to call the, it. The winged helmet. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But you know, dumbest helmet in college football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you start thinking about, like okay if they're taking that much pride and just being able to do their job to get our guys right for the game um you know it just starts to set the stage of what uh, tuesday practice is going to look like what wednesday yeah. practice is going to look like how perfect 
Thursday and Friday practices have to be um, in order for us to get the win on Saturday. You know, just all of these little nuances are, you know, things that kind of happen behind the scenes that, um, you know, really get us ready to play in that moment. Well, yeah. so, and you get scout team guys like Jeffy Johnson and yeah. Cato Mitchell, oh, for yeah. example, who, big time would, dudes, who, would be, big time dudes. who would be in the in the scout team huddle like ready to snap on somebody because they're they're trying to give the best look possible. Um, so you're right in terms of that pride, but like there was, I mean, everybody was on edge. Like it had to be a perfect practice. And we talked about this before, like Tuesdays weren't days typically where the practice had to be clean in terms of the execution. Everybody had to go hard Mm -hmm. and it was a teaching day, but you felt like it was a little bit of a a different Tuesday that week because you wanted it to be as close to perfect as you can get on Tuesday. Right. And, and, And to coach's point, like he was saying, like the, the scheme of what we're running isn't going to change too much. So let's make damn sure that Tuesday is as close to perfect as we can make it. Right. Michigan week had to be perfect. And as Curtis Grant tells us, you were trained to never lose to them. Let's get his look at this storied week. Here's the captain's perspective with Curtis Grant. Coach Meyer really made it a big deal. You know, it was like, we'll never lose to the team up north. You know, it was like, we're not going to lose a game anyway. But it was like, about that game, it was like, everybody judges you off that one game. Don't matter if they 0-11, it's like, the rest of the games don't matter. This is the most important game of the season. You do or die. And it's like, well, they suck, coach. I mean... It can't stop us from, you know, winning the Big Ten title or, you know what I mean? But it was like, no, it don't matter. Run the scoreboard up and leave leave your mark. First, the 2013 game had an immense impact on how the 2014 game would unfold. So let's go back there quickly for a second. A quick synopsis of the game up in Ann Arbor. Joshua, you talked about it earlier about Tyvis Powell. The final score is 42-41. And we'll get to this in a second as well. But in the second quarter, two OSU players are rejected for fighting. It's a 21-21 tie at halftime. Ohio State comes out, dominates the third quarter, leading 35-21 going into the fourth. Michigan storms back and ties the game with five minutes to go. And then Ohio State answers with a long drive. Carlos Hyde does a one-yard run. And the Bucks are up 42-35. And then towards, well, this is the last drive of the game. Michigan drives 11 plays. They go 84 yards, and it's 42-41. Brady Hoke decides to go for the win because, again, it's Ohio State-Michigan. And the two-point conversion is intercepted by Tyvis Powell, and OSU wins 42-41. We're going to get to the melee in a second. But off the top of your head, what are your guys' memories of that historic game up in Ann Arbor? So I was on the field for the finish there on the two-point conversion. Yeah. Um, and I ran the wrong stunt. I was on a blitz and instead of going up and under, I just kept going up the field. So that was a missed assignment. <laughs> I probably could have got, a, a, you know, a batted ball or yeah. a sack had I done it the right way. So there's Joshua being an asshole. That's why we play with 11 guys out <laughs> hey, there because Tyvis can make plays, you know, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You got to, uh, you know, your objective dog. Yeah. Um, that was, it was probably one of the more stressful games that I remember playing in defensively, I felt like we couldn't stop a soul and they were shifting and motioning and like they they ran a, a double wheel to the same side, basically yeah. like a follow where they had a wide receiver on jet motion. He wheeled up the sideline that clears the defender out and then the running back 
wheels up the sideline and is just wide ass open. I remember that play. Yeah, and it was there it was were, great and, design. And I wasn't the only team that ran. I remember because no. there was a ton of teams that ran yes. that play, and it was but they, so tough to. They defend. ran that from an unbalanced set too, mm-hmm. so we were just fucked up from the start because <laughs> it's hard to line up when when a team's unbalanced, and then you got to know who's eligible to go out for a route and who can't. It was it was great play design, but like that's that was what they did to us. And we didn't have answers. We just we 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 didn't know what we were gonna do. Yeah, I mean that was a, it was a tough game. But I, the things that I remember offensively were just like, man, you know, we and we and we adopted this a lot and just uh, going throughout the season. But it was hey, we had to get points on on almost all of these drives, if not every one. Um, yep. You know, and and Braxton and, and 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 all the guys that we had in our room were were dynamic and making plays throughout the game, so we were able to do that. But so um, Jeff was great. Yeah, I'm about Damn, to say Devin Jeff, was great. Devin had a had, had a game yeah. of his life that that fade that he ran over on our sideline was incredible. Um, Philly, but it, it, it Philly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was about those big shot plays to keep momentum and and figure out how best we could really try to slow theirs down um, on offense. Because I mean, whether it was that game or the, or next year's game, you know, it, it'll when you look at the game in hindsight and highlights, it's always going to be like a shot for another shot for another shot and and one more yeah. shots and then you know you you catch up with a couple more. Um, and it's just about how you manage it and, and and try to get your guys together. Well, did you guys see Coach Fickle's response after the game? I, I think one complaint that I sometimes have about Buckeye fans, of which I am one, is that they sometimes treat a win like a loss. And yeah, you I, didn't win good enough. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I remember them asking Coach Fickle on Monday after the game, like, you know, what went wrong? And he's like, did we win the game? And he literally stopped and you can look at it on YouTube. He said, did we win the game? And I sometimes think people have to remind, be reminded of that, especially in a rivalry right. game of which right. I have never played in. But, right. um, but as we said, the game is notorious for a fight between the teams. And earlier in the second quarter, Dontre Wilson is returning a kickoff. Evan, I think you said you were on the field. Uh, no, I was on the sideline. We were about to take the field as uh, as an offense. Okay. Do you want to take it from here? You know, again, <laughs> here, Dontre's returning, <laughs> Dontre's returning a kickoff. Yeah, I do want to take and it a, from here. Please, and a melee ensues. Give us the inside. What's going it, on? It, well, first of all, this wasn't anything that we were trying to incite. Um, sure. It's just, you know, we, we, we've talked so much about how close we all were to begin with. But Dontre gets the kick runs it up and starts to veer towards their sideline, gets tackled. And as he's trying to get up, there's this guy that keeps pushing him down. And and as an offense about to take the field, you're still watching the play to see like when you got to go out and start getting the play and then start run out there. And then we're just looking at our guy, like not being able to get off the ground and keep getting pushed down and pushed down. We're like, um, all right, what the hell? And then finally Dontre gets up and this dude or one of the other guys like rips his helmet off. And it was one of those moments where it was just like reactions were first um, thing to just cross the mind. And uh, I remember being right next to Braxton. I looked him in the eye and I was like, we didn't even say anything. But like at the same time, we stepped towards the field. And I'm pretty sure at the same time, most other people on the offense stepped towards the field. And then we just took off after Dontre because it was, you know, you got to think like, we listened to It's Time for War or or, or we heard the stories of... Um, how physical there's, this there's game a, was going to be for so long that we were not going to let them scene us. on the video, and I'll let you get back no, to it. Good. There's a scene on the video that they play that whole week of players throwing punches right. in the rivalry game. <laughs> yeah. like, that, that's a visual. Yes, that's a visual we exactly. have as we're preparing for the game all week. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like, okay, like right. this is really happening. Totally. And, and, and again, when we started and we got in the facility at Sunday, that was the first video we saw. We didn't watch ESPN. We didn't watch Big Ten Network and see where they were talking about the matchup. We see Dave in Boston yoking this dude yeah. up. And I'm like, yeah. all right, what's up? So then we see Dontre out there get his helmet ripped off. And what are you going to do? Just sit there and watch it? No, we're going to yeah. storm the field. We're going to beat his ass. <laughs> so that's what happened. Well, speaking of reactions, uh, Dontre and Marcus Hall were ejected. When asked about it, Marcus said to BuckeyeSports.com, I've never told anybody this, but honestly, I just thought it was a bench-clearing altercation, and I didn't want to be that guy that didn't stand up for his teammates. Right. Right. So Marcus Hall you know, is now very famous in Buckeye lore as he's seen giving the double bird to Michigan fans on his way off the field. And for our fans out there that want to relive this glorious moment, go to YouTube and type in Marcus Hall, Michigan. Uh, <laughs> I was just laughing this morning. I'm like, is Marcus Hall like the double bird guy around the facility? He's like, hey, you want to go lift Marcus? And he gives you the double fingers. No, no definitely <laughs> <You know>? not. <laughs> so, I don't even know if I've really ever seen him flick somebody off on like you know, that, to be honest. But you know what? <laughs> I'll give you guys money. The next time you see him, you give him the double bird. <laughs> no, no, anyway, no, no. It's played uh, out now. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> definitely played out. No, but no, well, I mean, you know, you got to think just like with what was going on, right? To, to, to Marcus's point and, and, and kind of how I was setting the stage, right? Like we were all so close and to see one of our own get realistically, you know, disrespected, helmet thrown mobbed. off yeah. Yeah. and he's getting mobbed by their team. You know, it, it, what are you going to do, right? Are, are you going to sit there and watch him? You know I mean, all respect to all other athletes and all other competitive sports that aren't contact sports, but ones that are, you feed off that aggressiveness. Yeah. So it's a little bit of like, no, we're going to go protect our own. And it's unfortunate that what had happened happened. And this is what I think of all of you in the stadium. So you're going to hear me and feel me. And were there, you know, things or stories or did people take it too far later down the road? Yeah, sure. And, and, and he definitely felt that. But in the moment, it's so hard to not be that guy for your for your dudes yeah <laughs> to say yeah, it simply sure. well guys that incident had an immense impact on the 2014 game because a uh, friend of the program curtis grant gave us some insight to a new rule slash warning given to the team in 2014 he's quoted as saying coach meyer said he wants the game to be very intense but if anybody throws any punches this year's we're just dismissed <laughs> guys yeah. dis dismissed um well, it, 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 so that was a very uh a big time call and then probably another call and then coach yep. got a call you know you yeah, know what i mean yeah. yep so yeah. i'm sure there's like, a little hey, bit of that uh spice don't embarrass that. us this year yeah i think it was pot. one of those though where coaches like uh anybody throws a punch in this game and you're done mm -hmm. and like what does you're done really mean like yeah. am i done for the game <laughs> yeah. like it was yeah. it was one of those like you're done third and second yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're done and you won't play here yeah. like does that mean i won't play here in the game anymore or like i'm yeah. never gonna play here again yeah. like first you week know, that, yeah. was, that was urban yeah. so to end the game in 2013 tyvis powell becomes beloved by fans as he intercepts the attempted two-point conversion and evidently, Tyvis doesn't want to give up the ball to anybody because there's a story from Lori Schmidt on Twitter about him holding onto the ball from the end of the game into the showers, through the locker room, on the bus, all the way back home to the Woody and then to his apartment. Um, Joshua, I know you are pretty close with Tyvis. You said it a minute ago. He seems like he's one of these real characters on the team. I personally love watching interviews with him because he's always got a smile on his face and he's telling funny stories. 
Can you tell us something about Tyvis Powell that maybe the average fan doesn't know? I can tell you a lot of things about TP that the average fan doesn't know. So um, Tyvis and I came in same time. He was an early enrollee, um, spent a lot of time together. We still to this day spend you know a ton of time together. Just one of my guys. But uh, we used to have tutoring. And it's I, I am surprised that we didn't get in trouble, like a, a write-up reprimand, because we, we gave this tutor, her name was Jill. She was a really good tutor. We gave her hell. <laughs> it, uh, she must have been just a miserable soul dealing with the two of us in there. Um, and, and, you know, it was just the joking around. Yeah. That was a big thing. But Tyvis has, like, um, he's, he's a very introspective, very thoughtful guy in a lot of ways. Um, and I've learned that just by spending time around him. Um, I'll put it like this. Tyvis had a rough upbringing. He never missed a day of school from kindergarten to 12th grade. And part of the reason why is because of the stability of going to school and knowing you can eat a hot meal there and everything else. Mm -hmm. And so you get a guy like that. Um, it shows why he's so lighthearted and right. why he, he wants to make a fun situation out of everything. It also shows why he works so damn hard mm -hmm. is because he wants to make sure that he can ensure that he doesn't struggle or want for anything and that his his wife now and his daughter don't have to struggle or want for anything. So um, he's remarkable. Yeah. And his personality is remarkable, too. I mean, it, like it was the best. You, 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 you pull your car into the, to the facility, you get out your car and you already hear Tyvis's voice walking through. <laughs> <You know laughs> he's laughing. He's always laughing. laughing Me and Tyvis played on the jokes. same side of the defense. We were boundary side. <laughs> Man, we used to cut up over there. Like yeah. we, we would get in trouble, Loki, during practice sometimes. It's good. But you need you need that sometimes to cut the monotony yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think fans were given a treat when they could see Tyvis and Cardell go back and forth during uh, championship week with the uh, with the media. Yeah. It was just it was so it was so fun to watch. All right, one quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. One more time. Remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. We've talked about the education of the rivalry. Let's do a quick shift to preparing for the upcoming game. And to me, one quote sticks out from all the other chatter. And it's, again, from Curtis Grant. He's quoted as telling 11 Warriors, it's kind of hard, and he's talking about Michigan here, it's kind of hard to wonder what's going on up there. Like, how come they're not winning more games? I just got done watching films, and they have multiple running backs. They have good receivers. And anytime this team wanted to explode, they could and just go crazy. I want to unpack this for a second, but a quick precursor. For fans that don't recall, prior to the 2014 game, there's a lot of external noise surrounding the Michigan football program. Just a minute of this real quick. They're coming off, they're coming into the game at a very uncharacteristic five and six. And there is an immense pressure on head coach Brady Hoke, who has a, by Michigan standards, again, only by Michigan standards, a mediocre 31 and 20 overall record. He started out 11 and two with a Sugar Bowl win. Then he goes eight and five, seven and six, and then five and six heading into this game. They just lost to Maryland, 23-16 at home. But there are issues also beyond wins and losses. He's criticized for not developing talent. He's got a uh, bad situation handling Shane Morris's concussion, the backup quarterback. 
And there's even something, and this is when you know it's bad, even something as stupid as people complaining that he doesn't wear a headset during the game. I don't know how you could be a head coach and not right. wear the headset. Though. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's insane. Cause it's just like, you need to be connected to eyes to above everyone. what you That's can a good, see. Okay. You even know what if I mean? you're not interjecting, like you need to be able to flip back and forth on the dang right. channels just to talk. But Exactly. Hear the offense, hear the defense, hear, hear how people are responding to momentum. And you know, you start asking, well, how does, how do these things happen? How do good players not win? And how do good players not compete? Well, good players still need to be guided. Good players yeah. still need great coaching. Good players still need leadership. Yeah, and at the end of the day, believe in the exactly. leadership and the coaching yeah. too. Bingo. So it should be noted that he replaced Rich Rodriguez, who was 15 and 22 overall, and he had a ridiculous 6 and 18 record in the Big Ten. I mean, a Michigan coach that goes 6 and 18 in the yeah. Big Ten. There's a lot to unpack here. But first, were you guys aware of all this Michigan noise coming into the game? Sure. I mean, they weren't winning as much as they wanted to be. So, of course, we, we're aware of, of the, the conversations, the, the pressure that, that the fans and the program was putting on itself. Um, you know, but again, we, we try to look at our own selves, at how we could do our own jobs to go to make sure that we continue to kick their ass. Right. right. I mean, at the end of the day, it was it was a very, um, um, you know, what what's your job and do your job centric mission. But that, um, you know, to, to Curtis's point and others, that doesn't mean that we weren't thinking about, well, you know, shoot, I came in with that guy and he was pretty good at the Under Armour game or, um, you know, shoot, I ran track against that guy and I could never beat his ass. How is how is that not computing over there? And. And, and, and I think that, you know, what Josh has alluded to and, and definitely I did a bit ago is that like, you know, it's so much about uh, even the transition from college to the NFL is how much how much difference coaching matters realistically. Right. Because, you know, the talent starts to match and then it's about, you know what, how can I manage the game better? How can my chess pieces beat their chess pieces? And, um, you know, in that is 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 where you start to find great programs and dynasties and things that can just repeat itself year after year. Um, and when you look at Michigan, there is no resemblance of any of that. Right. So we all knew it as well. Well, put your, put your Michigan hat on for a second and say, Jeez. look, whoa, 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 sorry. Whoa, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I want to put you in, in a situation that was similar to Michigan. <laughs> okay. You played in the Michigan game. Sorry. You played in the Michigan game in 2011 with some uncertainty about the head coaching yeah. position. Can you explain what that is like with that hanging over your head? And yeah. for fans, I want you to go into this, but for fans, I mean, we were hearing that Urban was going to be the coach that Saturday morning and that he had pulled himself off of the ESPN you know, commentary. Um, what was it like going into a heated rivalry game with that uncertainty over your head? Very strange. I, w I will say that. Like, it, it wasn't like anything that we'd expected, right? Because normally you'd just be thinking about, okay, well, Big Ten Championship and or in years past, what bowl game are we going to go play? So that was very odd. But I, I will also say that, like, you know, we all have pretty intelligent heads on our shoulders. We we all saw things coming as well as the season progressed, right? We weren't winning as much as we wanted to. Um, and we knew with the program that we had that, change probably probably was inevitable um but at that time you know we were on sunday at whatever o'clock listening to our version of it's time for war with coach fick right because we knew that that the the 
the records were zero zero. The score was definitely going to be zero zero once we started. But mm-hmm. you know, as we were going to go into that, the the rivalry still was what it was. There was still going to be figurative punches thrown in terms of physical plays, momentum, etc. And it was going to be about how we could, as a group, go in and try to win. And and, and that year, unfortunately, we we didn't get it done. But you start to think about how some of these external factors and conversations and um, you know, realistically trust in what could be next start effect uh, or, or can start effect um, the outcome of um, the rivalry in football games, especially in the heat of the moment. And talk about a crazy game. I, mean, I think the final there was 40 to 35, but that, right. was, a, that, was, a, that was a crazy game. That, too. Was, that was tough. I mean, I, yeah. I can say the first time personally that I got the chance to play them after the childhood that I had, I, you know, this is selfish or whatever, but that like ripped me apart to not sure. go up there and kick their ass in the first year. But we did so the next three. So, you know, sure. I, I definitely got that. But I know Josh has four. And the fact yeah. that I don't have four gold pants is definitely something that bugs me. You got a national championship. But that is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, let's set shift. the stage, right? Yeah. Let's shift gears for a quick second before we get to the game and talk about two of the most well-known traditions in Buckeye football that are specific to the seniors. And, of course, that's senior tackle and senior day. Joshua, last week when talking about Coach Combs, you gave a great synopsis of senior tackle. Can you dive into it again for the listeners and tell what it is? But then I want to throw it to both of you and ask with that backdrop of what it is, share some memories from your senior tackle, maybe who spoke or what was said and the emotions kind of running through your head. Yeah. So senior tackle is one of the traditions at Ohio State. Um, you know, the the last practice essentially that you have as a Buckeye. And this is, you know, we've got bowl practices and everything else, but leading into the rivalry game in the end of the regular season, um, you get to hit the the tackling dummy. You get to hit the bag one more time. And um, you would have a, a current player who's, you know, probably somebody younger, maybe a really close friend who's even a senior come up and say some words. And then your coach would make some remarks about you as well. Um, and then you would get to address the team and, and, you know, just talk about whatever was on your heart, your experience there anything and then you get to everybody's kind of lined up and you've got players on one side and parents on the other side and uh, you run down and everybody's watching you and you know you you tackle the dummy you land on a crash pad and everybody claps and there's a lot of tears a lot of times Um, and I've only experienced it off of you know teams who were good Uh, so you know the the emotions probably a little bit different than maybe some teams that are apathetic but at a place like Ohio State that doesn't typically happen Mm -hmm. Um, it's just it's it's a it's a really I think a, um, an awesome way to shine a spotlight, especially for guys who uh, maybe didn't play a ton, you know, were highly recruited guys and came in, didn't work out to hear their perspective and their remarks for guys who were never going to play a snap to hear about what it meant for them to be a part of the team was awesome, too. But just a great tradition. So for both you and Evan, who who spoke at your guys? Who who got up and said something? What do you remember? Yeah. No, I bind. Um, well, obviously, your position coach comes up. So Coach Smith came and, and, and gave some really emotional remarks, which I'll get into in a second. But from a player's standpoint, you know, what what really moved me was to see Cato Mitchell come up and and speak just about like how I was able to help him attack his every day, right? Because Cato wasn't going to go catch an inside nine against Michigan to win the game, uh, but he was going to help get Devin ready to go do it. Um, so to, to, to hear him kind of speak about like, you know, how just things that I wasn't really even thinking that I was doing helped him um, 
you know, attack his Tuesday practice better to get us ready was emotional. And, and also Johnny Dixon was another one, right? We talked earlier about how his injury, um, you know, kind of bonded us a little bit uh, from the standpoint of being a young guy trying to figure out, you know, hey, we both had knee problems. What's going to happen? And, you know, I really took him under my wing and, you know, to hear him give remarks was was really emotional, too, because, it, it, you know, it was the last time you're going to hit the bag. Sure, you get bowl practice, but it, you kind of feel like you've graduated from a lot of things at that point. But no, and, you know, what, what was also awesome was, you know, Coach Smith, um, you know, and, and, and for all the hoopla, he, he definitely was real um, and he definitely was, um, you know, a, a great leader to a lot of us emotionally and uh, physically. So, you know, to hear him pour his heart out, you know, speak to, um, you know, I mean, it's hell, I wasn't getting 80 catches um, a season or whatever, but to hear him speak to how some of the unselfishness that I had to kind of swallow and give to the team and, you know, how that impacted him as a man and, you know, et cetera, um, was really special too. So it's, it's, it's a really cool moment, but those are just a few things that I can draw on personally and, um, you know, how they may have looked for others as well. Joshua, how about yeah. you? I, I, to be completely honest can't remember what player uh made remarks on my behalf um I know obviously coach Fickle came up and spoke and um me and coach Fickle were extremely close like he had recruited me from the time I was a sophomore in high school um and so we you know I've really gotten to know him and his family and everything and he gotten to know my family too and um so we had a bond and I remember that being um, emotional and I'm not a um you know a, a tears kind of guy so there was none of that for me um but I remember my remarks that I made toward the team um were probably a little bit different because we had just come off of the loss to Michigan State um and so that was kind of the the backdrop of going in we're playing Michigan uh with Jim Harbaugh for the first time we're going up to Ann Arbor it's going to be my last game and you know it was a top 10 matchup um and so I just wanted to talk to the young guys on the team specifically about cherishing the moment and making sure that um, they're always prepared and, and they can go out and, and you know beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And like, you know, we're supposed to be playing for a national championship again and we're not. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't go up there and fuck Michigan up kind of situation, but also like understand these opportunities like you think you're going to be back somewhere and it just doesn't happen right um i wanted to make that clear so it was a little bit of a different tenor like 2014 we felt like we still had so much left in front of us uh 2015 when it was time to do the senior tackle like we pretty much knew that it was the michigan game and the bowl game and that was really it so like our time was really winding down yeah Yeah. no and i think that, that, that that's a good undertone right is the fact that like every time that you get into that some of the seniors talking back down to the freshmen it's like hey man every game's important like i'm sitting here as a senior telling you this is the last time i'm going to hit this bag yes yeah. This game's important. Yes, we got to win. Yes, we got to win on third down and and, and, and et cetera, because I'm not going to be able to hit this again next year. Right. This is going to be y'all. Right. Yeah. So it, it's it's a lot of how, you know, that type of um, older brothership type of passing the torch down type of thing happens. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, too, because I think this this is important for and it was definitely something that you probably made clear too, like. The way your coach talked about you, you're a real guy. Mm -hmm. Like you were somebody who had earned the respect of the team. You're somebody who everybody appreciated. You went out there, you handled your business. I was the same way. Um, But for a lot of the young guys on the team, they didn't see us when when we were young players getting our ass beat and our coaches were telling us we weren't shit and we would never play. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was always important to to make sure that we could tell the young guys like you see the finished right. product right now and, and the respect and the admiration that we get from our coaches. But it wasn't like that right. always, yeah. you right. know, like, you know, and, and coach, he was he let you know who his favorites were yeah. because the the way you, you got called up for senior tackle and the way you went out on senior day was like the the last walk on senior on the roster all the way up to like coach's favorite senior basically Mm -hmm. and so like i was i was blessed and fortunate because um in 2015 i was the second to last guy it was braxton miller and that was coach's guy but like i was the second to last guy and the young guys know that so you have to like they i was never the second to last guy like we talked about in the earlier episodes when i came in i was like you know I was the bottom of the barrel and and it it was just a time to explain that too. Like it's a process. You don't end up as coach's guy from day one. You got to work your way up to there too. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked last week about there's a right way to kind of go through the program. Um, Is there a particular senior tackle ceremony that you witnessed that wasn't your own, that really brings back a great memory for either one of you guys? Um, Honestly, I, I just say like, just to watch all the guys go by and, and, and watch the reactions of the coaches as the names were getting called, right? Mm-hmm. Russell Dow going from kicker to safety and trying to just figure out a way to make it work for us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hell, Peter Gwillem, uh, the Gatorade player, the state Gatorade player of Maine, right? Was uh, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a receiver, walk on in our room. Awesome guy, hilarious. Sneaky right? Pete. But, Sneaky Pete, right? To, to, to watch all of the guys get up and get, get, get happy for him to – hit the bag that last time. And, you know, I could go down the list uh, yeah. of others that, you know, that I'm going to miss here. But um, I, I think it was just more or less about just to see how close everyone was and yeah. how happy we all were for each other really was was super cool. Yeah. I got one guy um, that I'll say. It was Nick Snyder. He was a linebacker, a local guy, too. He went to uh, Westerville South High School. Um, but he was a walk-on linebacker, aerospace engineering, super smart guy, but, like, he was a meathead for sure, like, just, you know, grinding the weight <laughs> room, throwing him. weights around. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just, like, and he fit in with, with our linebacker group. Like, we love that guy. I'm, I still talk to him all the time uh, to this day, but it was really profound watching him on uh, for his senior tackle because we had, I think it might have been Craig Feta who spoke on his behalf, who was a, a walk-on linebacker who came in the same class as me um, that people had respect for and everything. And, like, Nick was super emotional. And then hearing Coach Fick talk about him, I remember him being so choked up that he couldn't barely get his little speech out. And he was a guy who never played a game snap at Ohio yeah. State, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's how he felt about it. So um, it just goes to show what it really means to be a Buckeye. Yeah. And it, and you guys said it last week. I mean, talk about giving your body for the program. Right. Um, where a lot of the activities discussed deal with team specifics, Senior Day is an event for the families to be involved in your last home game. As I'm sure it can be quite emotional, can you guys give us an overview of what Senior Day entails? And is there a favorite memory? Maybe, you know, your dad saying something to you or is what, what can you tell us about senior day? Uh, I mean, senior day, at least my dad, just cause of how experienced by the book he was, uh, he wasn't definitely changing anything from what yeah. my typical game day, uh, uh, routine was, but yeah. you know, once you go through, um, you know, you go through the skull session, I'm sure there's, you know, a senior or two talking I'm not, I can't remember exactly who it was. Uh, but you get in, you get into the, um, the stadium and then you 
get dressed, come out and your families are there. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, sweet, Cole, I get to see you. Like, that, that's awesome. Get to go hug my brother. Uh, but then it's like, oh, damn, well, I got to still go run on run down on, yeah. K- <laughs> on, on kickoff here in a second. So, you know, it's just a weird balance of emotions. And, yeah. you know, I think one of the biggest memories for me was just, uh, you know, kind of realizing that balance and then having to hype yourself back up and, and get going again. But I'm sure there might be more something a little bit more specific on Josh's side. That's just what I can draw on. Yeah. I mean, it was really, you know, nice to, to give your mom flowers or right. whatever on, on <laughs> right. senior day. But like I was a guy who went into games with uh, like uh, an emotional governor on like I didn't yeah. want to be too hyped and I didn't want to get too you know out of myself like I had to be under control like I listened to R&B music before the game because you know it was like you know baseline to get yeah. me right yeah. um so you know it was good seeing my parents and everything but like once that was done I was I was back in my mentality but I will say my senior day was that Michigan State loss um and I mentioned before I'm not a a, a tears kind of guy I I boohooed on the field like a damn baby after that game okay. cuz that was my last time playing in the shoe and we damn lost yeah. and yeah. lost our national title hopes and everything so it, it becomes an emotional day it started yeah. off as just you know like another right. day at the office yeah. and it's it a finished roller coaster up. brother it really That's is a motherfucker well, and I, sometimes you don't even think it is going to be a roller coaster but just the emotions of the week make it that you know it'll get you well I want to give the guys props that were seniors in uh 2014 and maybe next episode 2015 Joshua we can talk about your teammates that were seniors but uh with regards to 2014 the following Daryl Baldwin Michael Bennett Kyle Clinton Russell Dupe Curtis Grant Duran Grant Peter Gwillem Joel Hale Jeff Hireman Devin Hill John Holman Costa Cara George Chad Lindsay Steve Miller JT Moore Jake Russell Nick Serac, Tim Scott, Devin Smith, Rod Smith, Nick Snyder, and Evan Spencer. All right, one quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. One more time. Remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. Let's get to the game and we'll start out with the particulars. Uh, Number six, Ohio State is a 21-point favorite over unranked Michigan and the Buckeyes come in at 10 and one after a win over Indiana while Michigan comes in as we said before very uncharacteristically at five and six after a loss at home to Maryland and kickoff is the traditional noon and I mean don't you hate it when guys try to mess with the start time of this game it seems like every year Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess tickets pay the bills and or utilities and television pays the mortgage. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, sure so, does. <laughs> so uh, games at Ohio Stadium, it's 108,000, which is a new OSU record. The game is on ABC. And in the pregame, ABC is reporting that Urban's message to you was no nonsense, bring your emotion, bring your intensity. It's war. Mm-hmm. Anything stick out to you guys about pregame anybody call a quorum um (laughs) yeah it it was in the back of my head you you guessed Um, it right away yeah but anything stick out in pregame of the ohio state michigan game in 2014 that uh maybe i'm missing here it's it's basically i'll I'll say this for me Uh, you know pregame is usually like 
nah, whatever, because I'm I'm so locked in. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's I mean it's basically a last message, man. Fuck those guys. Like right. let's go make Ohio proud and then play ball. Hundred well, percent. Well, given Urban's rule, did you have any Michigan guys trying to entice you? I know there were police at the fifty-yard line, but well, uh, yeah, no. I think I think both coaches got similar calls because okay. <laughs> we were Probably. definitely, yeah. uh, um, you know, very structured in, in how we were doing our um, our, our pregame warmup, like we yeah. always do, right? Sure. But I think that like that that overfocus, right? Hey, you know, we're we're doing hitches top ends first, and then we're going dig top ends, and yeah. you know, getting locked in, and maybe you know a, a, a little bit extra coaching from our from our coaches to keep eyes on him um you know some some little things like that may have been yeah. happening but for the most part i think that we were all really focused on the first play where we got to go hit one of them yeah uh, but doing it by you know the, the the laws of the game joshua how about that for how long to take you typically in a michigan series to kind of get your comfort level yeah, it was typically just the 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 first drive as a whole, mm-hmm. and um, you know you like to go three and out, but like the longer drives, I think to open up the game really kind of help you settle in because yeah. you start to see you know how this they're is gonna the, attack you exactly like this is their new formation or like this is their wrinkle, this is the motion, you know, like this is this is they're they're running it with this guy pulling instead of that guy, or they put two pullers out, and it's just like the stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also as a linebacker, it's like every play I'm hitting somebody. So like now I know how that guard is going to try to climb. And now I know how that tackle is going to try to, you know, stay, stay really tight and get up the field instead of getting too flat. So they can't get to me. And like, Mm -hmm. now I understand that that wide receiver maybe isn't cracking that wide receiver is stock blocking and like all the different things it takes to be able to play defense. Mm -hmm. Um, That, that first drive, once you get into it, you're like, all right, this is just like anything else. I know what they're doing. I know the adjustments we got to make, and then mm-hmm. you can move forward. Because everything's a game within a game once you get to the higher level football, right? Yeah. Like, And before you start playing it and seeing the leverage that the DB is going to give you right in front of you before you give a release, you got nothing but just to think about all of your different releases, yeah. all the, the different hands that can come, where they can come, which arm you're yeah. going to get them down with. And so, when, you know, it's just a lot of that. When you're a smart guy, too, like Evan's a real smart guy, so like he gets – what I'm getting at, like, I'm I'm thinking of everything that I've seen them do on tape mm-hmm. to similar defenses. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, against a defense like ours, they've shown us this play, but they've run it two or three different times. So how are they going to want to attack us? Right. Yeah. And, like, I'm going through all of those things, and then once I get that first shot of them, I'm like, ah, this is what they're doing. Yeah. Like, this is how they're going to build their run game. Because good offensive coordinators, too, they don't just call a bunch of plays. They build – they're yeah. their play calling based off of concepts. 100%. And so like once you get the understanding of how they want to attack the certain concept, you're like, ah, now I can understand how they're going to want right. to build their game plan. Yeah. Why, why do you think play actions work? Well, because exactly. you, you run stretch a whole shit ton of times and then eventually you rip it away from and them they, and throw them They get your head. ass on a boot. Exactly. Everybody's <laughs> going all the way yeah, over there. Right. It's like tight ends sitting open in the flat. Right. Well, well, Joshua, you did not get a long drive to start out because Michigan wins the coin toss. They receive the kick and they promptly throw an interception to Von Bell. Love it. Yep. So OSU drives 42. <laughs> 42 yards down the field. JT throws a six-yard touchdown pass to Nick Vanette, and the Bucks are up 7-0. Now, we call this JT the record breaker because he, at this point, breaks Drew Brees' Big Ten record for touchdowns responsible in a season with his 41st. Mm. And we get some back and forth. Michigan drives down the field 80 yards, and Devin Gardner throws a touchdown pass, and we're tied 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. In the second quarter, Michigan actually takes the lead 14-7 to on a 15-play 95-yard drive. 
And we also get some back and forth before OSU embarks on a 10-play, 83-yard drive, which culminates with a 25-yard touchdown run by JT Barrett. Yeah, that one was tiring as all hell, let me tell you. You you know, Evan, (laughs) it's interesting because the second half, we'll talk about that. It is all about long drives in the second half. But we go into the half tied, 14-all, and Coach Meyer tells ABC that at – you know, to the, the, the person interviewing, we've been a good tackling team all year. I'm concerned about today's tackling. However, Joshua memories of a discussion at halftime about tackling. Yeah, it was basically control your emotions. Like you don't become a bad tackling team overnight. All of a sudden in a rivalry game, you, you don't tackle well because guys are trying to take, you know, too big a shots or they're, they're not worried about their fundamentals or worried about trying to knock someone out. And so that conversation was really easy for us. It's like play with emotion, but play within yourself. And by damn it, like use your fundamentals when you tackle. Mm-hmm. Well, Evan, I want to go back to what you said about that drive being tiring. Talk to me <laughs> about the, you know, again, this is a game of long drives. What is the substitute? Are you on the field for every player that drive or do the coaches, you know, you know, liberally substitute in and out yeah. when you're doing long drives? I'd be able to tell you specifically if I knew how long the possession was, but okay. let's just say it was in the mode of, hey, let's control some clock here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's keep the ball and we got to move this thing down the field. Not really a shot type of drive. Let's score quick. Sure. Um, get the defense back out there type of thing. And in that, there's a lot of you know, stretch reach blocking, you know, on my end, there's probably, cause I was the Z involved in a hell of a lot of perimeter blocking. So there's, you know, involvement with outside linebackers thinking about how, you know, my involvement there is going to affect the safeties and then picking them up and stuff. So just getting in the mix, but then also, you know, say let's, you know, second down on a, on a, just a change up or whatever we run a go. If I run an inside nine, 50 yards down the field that JT doesn't throw and he decides to run and get four yards and it was a great play. Um, you know, if, if we're running a, uh, you know, a perimeter block where I'm the best one in the room that can get the, get the thing done. I got to come back another 50 yards, you know, get myself together yeah. and then go execute that block. You know, by yeah. the way, we just crossed the 50. So we probably got, you know, um, shot. you know, five more, oh yeah, a shot one. <laughs> right, right. So I'm going to have to go run another <laughs> inside nine as Z, you do nothing but run inside nines. Yeah. Um, which is just a, like an inside fade for those who don't know. But then anyways, you know, keep on moving down. So, you know, you get those drives where it's like, you know, you, you wonder why receiver rooms have to get some young guys involved, have to get, um, you know, their, their, their line changes out there. It's because eventually your legs are cooked and you still yeah. gotta, you know, move the ball down the field. Right. Same thing for defense, Joshua, long drives, liberal kind of in and out, or it, it really all depends on, on the situation. We weren't subbing shit. Yeah. We, uh, say, we had. So you, do we you had remember when Josh was giving me a little crap saying that the receivers didn't run the most on the team? This is evidence of the receivers running the most on the team. Yeah, so but we, we didn't we didn't get a break, though. Yeah. That, that was the difference. So our, our D-line, we, we subbed those guys in because they have to be fresh. Like, yeah. you, you have to. You have to have a, a fast get off and you have to be able to sustain, you know, 600 pounds leaning on you if you're an interior guy. Our linebackers, we didn't sub. We played straight through unless we were in our like third down sub package. Yeah. Um, and our, our DBs, it was the same thing. Like those guys, they didn't trade out. So, like, I mean, if if like we played one game um, where it was 102 snaps of defense and Ooh, I played Cal. 102 snaps oh, of man. defense. Oh, was my. that Cal? Yeah. No, so it was Indiana 2015. Uh-huh. Cal, we must have had 90. That one was up there. I remember that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, again, we'll, we'll talk about long drives here. 
third quarter, OSU receives the kickoff, and after a 52-yard pass to Devin Smith, JT runs for a five-yard TD, and the good guys are up 21-14. Michigan then embarks and responds with their own 12-play, 75-yard scoring drive and tie it up 70 or tie it up 21 all. The Bucks get the the ball back and they go on another long drive, 14 plays, 81 yards, Goodness. with Zeke Elliott running for a two-yard score. Bucks up 28-21. And because the drives are so long, the quarter ends with OSU stopping Michigan on a three and out. It's 28-21 at the end of three. But here we come to the first play of the fourth quarter, and JT Barrett goes down with a broken broken ankle. Jesus. I can speak to this from a fan's perspective. The silence was eerie inside Ohio Stadium. Yeah. I want to talk to both of you guys about this, but Evan, being on the field, your memories of this happening, because I think you said he had the same type of boot that you had he, you know, after the game, Boy, he had to put on yeah. the same boot. Yeah. He, he had the same type of fracture that I had had the year prior. I mean, obviously I didn't know that on the field, but right. um, you know, it, it, I think we, we were running some kind of read option, um, you know, and I had blocking responsibilities. So I'm, you know, straining to finish on the right shoulder, whatever coach McNamara used to say. Um, but then I'd came, I'd come back and it was eerily quiet, kind of like you were talking about, but I was kind of looking around like, what's going on? What happened? And then I just turned and saw JT on the ground and, and maybe his leg was kind of laying in a funny way. And you, know, you just saw immediately that something was tragically wrong. Right. Um, and it was just like, however best you can explain, like having a season's worth of memories like flashed in front of your eyes right in a, in a moment and then saying holy shit you're still a senior um this is senior day yeah. and we went and won all these games and we got all this momentum and we actually have a real chance maybe of going to the the college football playoff like now we're gonna have to do it with a new quarterback now mm -hmm. you know we can get to the whole cardell thing at, at a later date but you know, it's like all of these things just start to get going. And, you know, again, what we're, we're up, what, seven points at this point? You are. Right? It's 28-21. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not like we're out of out of the woods either. Right. Um, you know, so a, a lot of um, kind of the same types of conversations that happened after Braxton got hurt in, in camp. Hey, guys, what all can we do better, right, to help, you know, either win the game, get or get Cardell comfortable, get the offense moving and, and get out of here with a dub was what we started doing. And then you started seeing you know, big run Zeke stepping up to the plate, the offensive line stepping up to the plate, receivers and tight ends, et cetera. Um, but nonetheless, it was a very emotional moment and, you know, one that I wish didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, every everything happens for a reason. But, you know, breaking your leg isn't fun. Joshua, what do you what's going through your mind? Shit. Uh, it was one of those like I'm I'm thinking about my teammate who is a grinder like he's not getting up. He's a tough guy. Yeah. You know, and it was it was weird watching it um, on the sideline because he was like it was a pile. Mm -hmm. And so you're like you didn't know if he was just getting up slow because he's at the bottom of the pile or like but then he was sitting there and it's like shit. Mm -hmm. um, and so you kind of you start thinking about him like, you know, he came in injured. As a Buckeye, yeah, you know, torn ACL, and then you're sitting there like, damn, like you know how hard he worked to to get to a position to where he could ball out, and then he's hurt again. Um, but then your thoughts kind of go to like, all right, as a defense, we probably got to win this game. Right. Um, not that we we didn't think Cardale 
was good enough to win us a game, but it's it's hard coming in as a, a quarterback when you're not in rhythm um, mm-hmm. and, and being able to perform. And, and especially in a situation where you're trying to hold on to a lead. Like if you're a quarterback coming in, your team's down. Like you're playing with no pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when you're when you're in the driver's seat, you know, it's difficult. And so we're like, all right, let, we got to help him out so he can take the time he needs to get, co- to get comfortable. A great point, Josh. And I think that's what, you know, kind of what I was touching on is that we were really good at being able to say, hey, we have to elevate ourselves not in order to protect like Cardell wasn't ready, but in order to protect the situation that we have yes. in front of us. There, there's, there's two very famous photos, and I could be wrong on this with Devin Gardner, one putting his hand on JT Barrett and making sure that he's okay. But then I think two years earlier, he just got absolutely killed by Zach Boren, and they have <laughs> Zach standing over him kind of yeah. flexing. I could be wrong. That's, Again, a, that's on that all of the trash every cans du- around Every Columbus. dumpster in the city of Columbus <laughs> yeah. has that yeah. on it. Kudos uh, to the Boren brothers uh, taking, taking out the out trash. The trash. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if I'm Man, wrong on the quarterback... We didn't get paid for that ad, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say we got to sell a little yeah. bit. Boren call, bros, call hit call us up. Zach. Make sure you call me next oh, time. Oh, shit. I didn't put one on one together. They're taking out the trash. There you go. All right. All right. There you go. Um, so we talked about Cardell coming in to replace JT. You talked a little bit. We're going to go in depth into Cardell next week as we prepare for Wisconsin. But if I've heard one thing from you guys a lot all season long, it's about mental reps and it's all about the next man up philosophy, right? Who is the best example? You guys said it offline of mental reps kind of stepping into a game when their number is called. Not even a question. Kenny Guyton, 120 percent. Like, you know, when you when you put film on, you get two views, right? You get the wide view. You see everybody on the sidelines and you see everything. And then you get like behind the offense. You kind of see what the quarterback's looking at. But it's it's pretty tight. Usually Kenny Guyton was so notorious for being like just in that picture. But you could see him go through every read with what the defense was giving the quarterback that was playing at the time. Yeah. Right. So if Kenny's saying, hey, I'm not going to have the chance to play. I'm not going to have the chance to get as many reps as Braxton is. Oh, but oh, by the way, Braxton gets dumped on his head and we got to go beat Penn or Purdue and we got 40 some odd seconds to go do it. I sure as shit better be ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, nobody uh, uh, epitomized the importance of mental reps better than Kenny Guyton. And, you know, I'll let Josh tell some stories there, but, you know, definitely a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Yeah, Kenny was the uh, the mental rep king, and Kenny was also a guy too that I don't think the coaching staff had a ton of respect for when they originally came in, and he he one hundred percent earned it to the point where I mean you know he's a wide receiver coach, pass game coordinator at Colorado State now, probably off of a recommendation from the guy that he played for to go work for Steve Adazio, who's one of Urban's former employees. Like that's how much respect he has for him now. Yeah. Um, Tom Herman brought him along at Houston and everything else again. A lot of respect there. One guy on defense who was a mental rep king um, was Cam Williams. This is my roommate. Oh, yeah. Backup linebacker. And he was like our our utility guy. Like, you know, Mike linebacker, Will linebacker got hurt. Cam Williams was going to be the first guy to go into the game. Veteran guy, um, but understood football really well. And there are certain positions at practice that have a stripe on their helmet. So it was quarterbacks, running backs, so you could see in protection um, and linebackers. So you could see where they were looking. Like you could look at the stripe of their helmet and tell where their eyes were. Um, and Cam had very active eyes. Like you could tell that he would scan the formation, that he was always reading his keys. He was pointing to different things. And like it was, again, it was something that showed up on tape. Um, but it, it was big because for Cam, like, He's always a, a second team guy, didn't play a ton of game reps outside of special teams, but like we needed him to step into the game and he wasn't going to be 
uh, a super great athlete and make a ton of stunning plays, but he was going to be a guy who would grade out like 85, 90% every time because he was always ready to play. Mm-hmm. Well, OSU and Michigan trade punts, and Ohio State eventually is going to get the ball back on their own 20-yard line up 28-21. And on this drive, uh, you guys face a fourth and one from the Michigan 44, and Tom Herman and Urban Meyer decide they want to go for it. Urban explains it in his book, Above the Line. He said, huddled around me, I looked at the offensive linemen, all of them. I looked Ed Warner right in the eyes and sternly asked, can you get the first down? And without a split second of doubt or hesitation, he replied, we can get it. Evan, are you, I think you're on the field at this moment. Yeah. What can you tell mm-hmm. us about this pivotal moment in the game? What do you remember about being yeah. huddled up? Uh, what, what I remember is definitely one in the rock, right? Cause yeah. I, I felt that we just, we had momentum enough to get it. So we came to the, to the sideline pleading almost, right. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but I think that it was from the standpoint of the, the offensive line was starting to get into groove, right. From the standpoint of like, you know, Hey, play f- four and five are a lot different than play 60, especially mm-hmm. when you're getting after somebody. Right. And, you know, you can start to see it. We always used to do this tap out, not to say that they were tapping out at that moment, but like, you know, <laughs> we would start to kick shit out of somebody. We all start tapping our head. We're tapping yeah. them out. But it, it speaks to the fact that like, Hey, if I know I got you right now, we got this momentum and, and Hey coach, I got my guy. I can do it. You know, then, you know, coach Meyer will come off and, and, and try to, uh, come in and try to play off that a little bit. Right. Yeah. So what I remember was taking the sideline, you know, giving it to him with our eyes and vocally. And he was like, we're going to go get this damn thing. And sure enough, you and know, so, the rest was history. I'm going to say this on the, on, from the, the defensive standpoint on that is we'd be on the sideline, like coach would be looking around or whatever. And we'd be like, Luke, like tell him to go for it. You know, <laughs> because yeah. for us too, we had nothing but confidence in our offense to get a fucking yard. Right. Right. Like it's fourth and one, get a yard. Yeah, like we we're, knew that we're they pretty could good. Do that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also think a lot of times that coaches don't go for it on fourth down because they don't believe in the defense, that the defense can handle a sudden change, that the defense can go out there and get a stop and get the ball back. Yeah. And so it, it sometimes it's more of an indictment on your belief in your defense to 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 save the day if the offense doesn't get it mm-hmm. rather than your belief that the offense won't actually get it. So mm-hmm. for us, it was a point of pride knowing that our offense could get a single yard, yeah. but at the same time, knowing that if they couldn't, we could go out there and get them the ball right back because we know they're going to score. Anyway. 100%. Well, you guys got that single yard because on the next play, Ezekiel Elliott breaks free for a 44 yard touchdown. Uh, Evan, you've got a key block there. You meet him in the end zone, yeah. and you guys take a thirty. I was like th- racing him to the end zone, <laughs> like turning around, yelling at the 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 corner. You got to go. I don't even remember what the hell I was saying, but I saw the, the highlight uh, just a little bit ago. I was like, oh damn. Go yeah, ahead, I loved bro. it, man. I just googled it. Um, <laughs> so you guys take a thirty-five twenty-one lead with four fifty-six to go, and on the next series, Joey Bosa strips Devin Gardner and Darren Lee scoops the ball up, romps for a thirty-seven-yard fumble recovery score. OSU leads 42-21 with three minutes and 58 seconds to go. It seems like the game's a little bit out of hand here. Mm-hmm. But Michigan mm-hmm. does engineer a fast five-play 75-yard drive to close within 42-28. But the good guys recover the onside kick, and the game is over 42-28. to <sighs> yeah. So all of that, um, you guys get in the locker room. How do you guys feel? Are you relieved or are you... <laughs> Oh shit, man. JT is down and we got the Big Ten championship and possibly a college playoff ahead. What's going through your head? It's a uh flurry 
yeah. of emotions. Right. Winning against your rival is always exciting. Um, losing a player like JT always bites. And then um, in the backdrop of this, and we'll talk about this in the next episode in depth, but Costa Kara George yeah. was missing. Um, and that that was on all of our minds too. Like, yeah. boy, like I, I hope to right. God that nothing bad has happened. But like, you know, you... You, you you celebrate a win every time you win, mm-hmm. but you got to come back down to reality at some point. And I think we all dealt with that. Yeah. And celebrate it up was what we did. You get in the locker room and then just it, it, it comes back pretty quick at you. Life gets in the way, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, so, right. well, we tried something last week and I think it worked pretty well. So I want to try it again today. What was something that happened during Michigan week, either in the game or in practice that the fans might not be aware of? We know you got those heated benches. <laughs> this week um, yeah but that was any, a anything else plus yeah anything else i think the benches might cloud my memory of anything no i'm kidding <laughs> um no i mean we we covered a lot of ground no we did we we really did and and i think that the fans have a really good perspective of what goes on because we do educate a, a, a mm-hmm. hell of a lot right there's yeah great video staff at ohio state and um you know we have a really good way of marketing that to our fans to keep them um you know as part of the family so mm-hmm. you know i'd say a lot of that is um you know already been touched on we, we we spoke to a lot of other things but you know more importantly than anything it's just the attention to detail right mm-hmm. the the difference in the attention to detail that we have yeah. um, the undertone of that is in the scout team being able to decorate their helmets having pride in what it looked like having pride in making sure that whoever was Devin Gardner or whoever was whoever um, was going to give the absolute best look that they could and it's not you know pick your nose time like <laughs> you know maybe it could have been another uh, weeks uh, past, so you know that that attention to detail is is the biggest, biggest, biggest difference that I see. Yeah, I would say this is um, Michigan Week is always Thanksgiving Week, and um, a lot of guys cannot get home for that holiday. And um, you know, living so close to campus, my family used to host players, and my mom would always ask a guy what dish that they wanted so she could make them something. Um, that reminded them of home. And, and for Von awesome. Bell, who used to come with us, uh, my mom used to fry him some catfish hmm. uh, because that's something he would eat at home on Thanksgiving. But it, we I mean, we would have a house full and we talk about it like our team wasn't it wasn't just linebackers we would have over. Like I said, Tyvis would come, um, you know. Von Bell would come over. Michael Sabini, who's a walk-on guy, like he came, spent time with us. We, I mean, anybody who didn't have a place to go, my parents were just like, come over to the house. We'll have a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like all the bonding that goes on, I feel like those are some of the moments like that's that's why our team was what it was is because, you know, we had people who were willing to to bond and share and open their homes because we're all a big family. Yeah. We talked about it last week. You guys talked about the strength of the roster up and down. It wasn't necessarily always starters hanging with starters. So that's that's mm-hmm. really cool. I want to get a closing thought here. And I want to caution you guys not to go Mark May on me here. <laughs> but uh, this was the 10th win in 11 years. And as we sit today, OSU has won 15 of 16. I know there have been multiple factors, but I want to ask you guys two questions. One, why has Ohio State been so dominant? And then second, what do you think it's going to take for Michigan to be, to be viable on the national stage again? Man. Um, Ohio State, historically, 
has always had better players than Michigan um, in this rivalry. And I, I'm not trying to disparage anybody who's played there. I think that is just the way it is. You could look at recent recruiting rankings. You can just look back. Um, and, they, you know, they've had guys. They've had Heisman Trophy winners and first-round draft picks. Not to say they, they didn't ever have players, but mm-hmm. I don't think they've had the guy. And that's been exposed um, in a big way, especially as of late when Urban came around and just, like, left the Big Ten behind in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, he left Michigan behind when he was doing that. So um, I think that is definitely part of it. I also think Michigan has um, expectations that are a little bit incongruent with what they are as a program. Um, you know, their current quarterback uh, has – he was born the year they won their last Big Ten championship. It's been that long. Um, and so, like, even – it's their generation away from – when they were an elite program and uh you know we we definitely we've talked about that but i think that's something that needs to be known um now i i don't know how they correct that you got to recruit like i don't think you go to nantucket and nashua to to try to get (laughs) players i think you got to go to you know you got to go to miami and you got to go probably to atlanta and houston to get guys Mm. Um, they need to maybe do a little bit more of that and then I think I think leadership right yep. now is an issue and it's not the fact that their coaches are bad because we've we've seen their coaches have success other places. I think the leadership is a little tired if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no. I mean I, I think that's 100% it and you know speaking to the leadership why they're in the situation that they're in. Well, you know, I would say that, you know, yeah, the recruits haven't been as good they they got guys, you know, at the end of the day, I I'd, I'd say that like maybe the fact of controlling the narrative of how important this game is to them. Um, yeah. You know, I think that a, a little bit earlier with other stories, just from guys who went into their program and how they treated the game and what they were thinking about going into, let's say a Michigan state game versus an Ohio game. And it's Ohio, but we still got Michigan state or vice versa. I think mm-hmm. that erosion of how important the game is to them is why we are dominating them so much more. Now we have better chess pieces. We have been developing our chess piece pieces much, much, much yeah. better than they have been. And that's also yeah. why the tide is too strong for them to overcome at yeah. the moment. But, you know, at the end of the day, right, like not to say that they're not doing their Ohio State finisher or whatever finisher in their offseason pro- programs and workouts, but at Ohio State, it is everything from the time yeah. that that game is over with right yes we get to go a chance to play big teams like alabama or clemson or all that other shit at the end of the season but you are judged for one game when you come and sign your name at the dotted line to come play at ohio state and well and and let me jump in too because i, I don't want to be unfair here because you know, I said you know you can't go to new england and recruit guys um you know it's not where you build your team um but you can get those guys but the point that you made is I and I've said this just looking at the way they've looked the last couple of years. Plenty of good players. Are they getting the most out of them? Is the question. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like I've we've seen teams maybe with a little bit of a lesser recruit go out there and, and maximize those right. guys and be very competitive. Right. But if you if you're not going to maximize a, a lesser recruit, then you need to make sure you're going out there and getting only five stars. Period. You, you guys talk about leadership. I just want to throw this out at you. Did you guys know that the previous four? Athletic directors prior to the current AD at Michigan, Tom Goss, Bill Martin, Dave Brandon, and Jim Hackett. Do you know what they all have in common? 
They weren't. They weren't they sports all guys. Yeah. White. <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Tom Goss. Um, oh, dang. <laughs> all of them had zero previous college administration experience be- before becoming an AD. My point. It's, it's bad. My point. It's more than just coaching. It's fundraising. It's facilities. It's the overall yeah. student athlete experience. And in this case, collegiate experience matters. And if you don't believe me, go talk to Urban about the oh, importance yeah. of Gene Smith. Yeah. Seriously. You, I mean, even just a little thing like the benches. Right. I know that's not a right. little thing, but when you have that experience, that in working in alignment with your head coach, how do you do that when you don't come from a background and understand that kind of stuff? Well, in, in a, a business guy is probably doing the cost benefit analysis right, of exactly. bringing yeah, in the right. benches instead of getting the fucking benches. Right. Right. Um, and, and I'll say this, like not to sound like a, you know, a, a crazy liberal or whatever, but like. That is what this brand of capitalism that we all deal with. And I, you know, I love it because mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of great things that make me money and I'm not shackled sure. to my, my earning ability, but like they will make you think that having a business person running everything is the best way to do it. When like your AD should not be a business person. You should have business people within the athletic department. But mm-hmm. if you're making athletic decisions based with within and only within business, you're you're not going to be good. Right. We've seen it kill professional organizations. We've seen it hurt athletic departments. Like you need sports people, and I'm a big proponent. Is why I like Gene, a former players there who understand what it's like to build a team and develop a team and chase a championship and do all of those things. But Again, I'm I'm well, get off my soapbox, right? right. Because it, it speaks to the importance of maximizing talent. If yeah. you if you haven't been in, if you've never had experience understanding what maximizing talent looks like, if you've never been in that environment yourself and what yeah. something could look better or how something could be different, maybe to maximize your talent better. Yeah. Um. You know, you just don't have perspective to how oh something that could be a net cost. Um, on the department in this one short time frame can make our guys better, can bond our guys stronger, and hopefully compete a little better. Yeah, there's just yeah, a, I mean, there's a code there, right? I mean, yes, there's a there's a famous story about Dave Brandon, the athletic director at Michigan, after a Michigan basketball game, like going through the line of the players and like shaking the other players' hands. I mean, that's just not done. I, uh, I yeah, it, it, I don't I don't know. I, These cats are strange. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, to to Evan's point though, like at the end of the day, you know, and and this is what the, the difference between like great companies in business too. Um, they're they're culture people. They're not business people, yeah. right? So, if you got to spend a hundred thousand more dollars to make sure that the environment's better, I bet you you make that back tenfold, right. rather than penny pinching on the front end and then nobody's happy, right? And, and you're not productive. Like that's the major difference. Yeah. There. Anything else you guys want to add about Michigan before we stick a fork in this one? Yeah, go Bucks, Michigan. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell. The tone was just set, let's go get it. And let's get it with um, our style points (laughs) and then see what can come afterwards. Hey, y'all, it's Joshua here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod, on Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod, and like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Next time, Evan, the Buckeyes, and I have some ground to make up, and one team stands in our way as we chase our dreams to make the first ever college football playoff. Wisconsin is in our sights next time. I'll see you soon.